a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Guan Xin coming up on the program. China's main gauge of inflation, the consumer price index, edged down in October, driven by falling food prices. The annual conference of the Financial Street Forum 2023 is currently taking place in Beijing, where prominent officials are emphasizing governance reforms and highlighting notable achievements in the sector. And in today's Base Focus, we take you to the China International Import Expo, where participants are leveraging the opportunities and driving innovation trends. Start with some fresh economy data. China's main gauge of inflation, the consumer price index, cooled down in October, and the factory gate producer price index saw a further decline. Official data released Thursday showed the CPI edging down 0.2% in October compared to a year ago. The slight dip was attributed to food prices, notably the price of pork. Oversupply and weak demand saw pork prices fall 30% last month. The core CPI, which excludes food and fuel prices, was up by 0.6%. The producer price index fell 2.6% year-on-year in October, affected by fluctuations in international crude oil and metal prices. And now for more insights into the reasons behind the stagnant consumer price index data, we're joined by Wang Yaojing, Assistant Professor of Economics at Peking University. Thank you for joining us. Professor Wang, so what are the key factors influencing the negative growth of the CPI? Well, thank you for having me again. Uh, so first of all, the very direct impact, uh, as you just said, is the uh, food prices, right? Uh, for example, pork prices down by 30% and egg down by 5% and vegetables down by 3.8%. So that contributes to the uh, overall CPI by uh, 0.61 percentage point decrease uh, of the whole category. So prices in other categories uh, such as service and transportation remain stable. Yeah, how long do you expect the CPI to persist at its current low level? So given the PPI being uh, at the relatively lower level as well, we are expecting the CPI will remain at the current low level for uh, possibly an extended time. So it is unclear when and how the demand side would bounce back given the current labor market condition and the uncertainties in the global political uh, environment. There's still a lot of room for the consumption market to grow in China. Well, thank you. Please stay with us for more discussions later in the program. The annual conference of the Financial Street Forum 2023 is underway in Beijing. China's top financial officials, including the governor of the PBOC, deliver speeches on the opening day on Wednesday. More than 300 guests from over 300 countries and regions will engage in in-depth discussions on topics relating to this year's themes of financial opening up and cooperation. Apart from its main venue in Beijing, the forum has also set up overseas sub-forums in Dubai, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Uh, this year's Financial Street Forum has involved many speeches, forums, and sideline meetings. We're joined by our Zheng Jingfeng in Beijing and An Chen in Hong Kong to find out more. And first, let's cross to Jingfeng to discover the latest developments of interest to China's stock investors and home buyers. So, Jingfeng, what questions do you have, and what have you found out from the Financial Street Forum? 
Right. Question, you said very right. I think uh, stock markets and real estate market, these two markets and what uh, common people in China really care about because over 100 million Chinese are investing in stock markets and uh, lots of people are care about their home prices. Let's talk about the stock market because uh, uh, so many people are interested in what's happening to China's stock markets. Uh, the Shanghai Composite has been struggling around 3,000 points for long. So I uh, did some research and find out that uh, I can actually find some answers through the uh, Financial Street Forum. We can see that the uh, central bank governor, Pan Gongsheng, mentioned the stock markets uh, would be supported by ample liquidity on the market. That's really good news because ample liquidity is always essential for the stock market. That will be good for the medium and long run. And he also said the uh, registration system will continue in China's stock market. That's a bit complicated because one side of the story is that Chinese companies would find it easier to finance, to borrow money, to get uh, finance from the stock market. But on the other hand, China's institutional investors will have to do a lot of research, homework uh, with themselves, and they cannot take it for granted. They can easily win money from the investment on these companies companies that get listed through the registration system. That's why Pan Gongsheng encouraged investors to put their money in professional institutions. Of course, institutions have to get professional by themselves. To improve the professionalism of institutions would be the priority for the next stage. And then Pan Gongsheng talked about smart capital. So I did some research. I think smart capital means that state-backed or public-backed funds that would track uh, in investment strategically in line with the government policy to offer some very uh, good stability on the market through some volatility time. So we really look forward to smart capital to be available on the market. So we talk about all these measures that Pangong should support. He also talked about scrutiny talk about regulation supervision, especially the selling, the heavy selling by big shareholders, the refinancing by some listed companies. Those actions need to be scrutinized because recently we heard news that some executives, some big shareholders, some listed companies uh, get uh, some problems in the wrongdoing and there were some legal procedures against them. So all these procedures, we cannot expect to have a very tangible results uh, very long in the very short run, but we'll definitely get uh, some good results in the long run. Then let's talk about the real estates, and uh, we see that uh, we heard stories about Hongda uh, Evergrande, or Garden Country Garden, got into debt problems, but Yi uh, Huiman, but also Pan Gongsheng talked about this uh, uh, finance of these uh, uh, real estate companies. He said these financial uh, company, uh, these uh, real estate companies will be supported in the long term because demand for real estate in China would be for the medium long term. Although there's been support uh, report questioning that China's per capita uh, home owning area or living space surpassed 40 square meters per person, that's almost on par with developed countries. But who would be 100% with their homes? We're talking about bet a better living space, a larger living space, better quality facilities, air conditioning, uh, and, and heating, you know, it's getting really cold in Beijing, we talk about heating quality, also maintenance, also furniture, decoration, services, 
and also the surface areas in the in the in the common environment. So everyone needs better homes. That creates big demand during China's continued urbanization. These demands would be the very important support for the long-term growth of China's real estate markets. So if I can add one more point of my impression of finance nowadays, finance is more used for, to support the real economy instead of creating more fortune for the elite, for the rich. Back to your question. Oh, very interesting insights and thinking. Well, thank you, Jinfeng, for your comments. And as a sideline forum in Hong Kong has just wrapped up and Anchen is right there. So, Anne, tell us more about what went on and what are your observations? Yes, uh, there was a roundtable discussion that's just wrapped up just now regarding how to deepen monetary cooperation and how to promote RMB internationalization. Uh, from the Hong Kong side, uh, Hong Kong perspective, one of the speakers was Kenneth Hui, executive director of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. He said, as an international financial center, Hong Kong's advantages are its close relationship with the Chinese mainland, as well as, le as, well as its legal regulatory framework and its links with different markets. He shared two perspectives of looking at things, which is when everything is smooth sailing with the markets, the focus is on efficiency and cost. But when the markets are turbulent, that's a different nature, and it's also important to avoid risk. So the risk management process is important. And he said that Hong Kong's relationship with the central bank uh, is important as when it's necessary, it can help provide liquidity for Hong Kong. Um, he also shared some new developments to boost interconnectivity, such as an upcoming collaboration with Hong Kong's fast payment system and Thailand's prompt pay direct payment, which means that people on both sides can soon make direct payments with each other. Uh, meanwhile, Nicola Aguzin, CEO of the Hong Kong uh, Exchange and Clearing, was also a speaker. He highlighted Hong Kong's connectivity to the mainland's onshore market, adding that Hong Kong is the world's leading offshore RMB hub and the largest offshore RMB settlement center, contributing to 75% of offshore RMB settlement. And he further shared what uh, HKEX is doing with its efforts in RMB internationalization and particularly mentioned the dual counter model, which was launched in June and allows investors to use offshore yuan to trade yuan-denominated shares on Hong Kong Stock Exchange. This was seen as a significant step in the internationalization of the yuan and solidifies Hong, Kong role, Hong Kong's role as a trading hub for the currency. And moving ahead, the HKEX will continue to enhance its products, its platform and channels, and the number of dual-counter securities are expected to gradually increase. And HKEX will also work with regulators and stockholders in Hong Kong to uh, include RMB denominated securities in the southbound stock connect. That will take some time as it involves infrastructure change, but he believes it will be a very significant step forward. Back to you. Well, thank you for all that information or Enchan for us in Hong Kong. At a parallel forum of the Financial Street Forum annual meeting, the 2023 special report on the practice of financial cooperation among Belt and Road partner countries in Southeast Asia was unveiled. The report revealed that ASEAN's overall economic performance surpassed that of other regions. In 2022, the combined GDP of the five ASEAN countries experienced a 5.5% year-on-year increase, significantly higher than the average growth rate observed in developed economies and emerging markets. As of 2022, China has maintained its position as the largest trading partner of ASEAN for 14 consecutive years. This has created a favorable pattern where China and ASEAN are each other's biggest trading partners. The rapid growth of bilateral trade can be attributed to several key factors, including the trade creation effect resulting from the implementation of RCEP, 
the continuous promotion of infrastructure connectivity, deepening cooperation in agricultural products, and the expansion of import scale. The spotlight is on financial openness at this year's Financial Street Forum. And for more discussions on China's financial sector, we'll bring back Wang Yaojing, Assistant Professor of Economics at the Peking University. Thank you for staying with us. So, Professor Wang, what strategies can be implemented to enhance financing mechanisms to better support the high-quality development of the Belt and Road Initiative? Uh, yes, I would say incorporating more institutions to be more inclusive is the way to go. And we are indeed seeing more financial institutions, especially commercial institutions, rather than government-backed organizations in China, are making their footprints in the BRI. They provide financial support for BRI countries, uh, for infrastructure uh, and green energy project constructions. And this year, the Beijing Stock Exchange has just announced its intention to join the initiative bringing more innovative medium to small uh, enterprises into the development. Thank you very much for sharing with us. And that was Wang Yaojing, Assistant Professor of Economics at the Peking University. Now let's cross over to Shanghai for our special coverage of the 6th China International Import Expo. And my colleague Michael Wan is already standing by at the Shanghai studio on the bond. And welcome everyone to our special coverage of the 6th China International Import Expo, or the CIIE. We're coming to you live from our studio here in Shanghai. Now, the CIIE features six themes, ranging from food to the future of mobility, from cutting-edge technology to health and to trade and services. Our focus today, consumer goods. Now, according to China's National Bureau of Statistics, consumption contributed to 83.2% of the country's GDP growth in the first three quarters of the year. Now, there is a huge number of global consumer brands present at each year's CIIE. The Consumer Products Exhibition Area is always popular among visitors to the Import Expo, and that is where we're going to find our Chen Tong, who's here with more. Hi there, Chen Tong. So what's the latest? Well, hi, Michael. As you mentioned, each year at the CIIE, one of the hottest pavilions is the Consumer Pavilion. It's 4.30 p.m. As you can see, there are still many Chinese consumers here showing their strong interest. Over 500 companies from 76 country regions are participating, are showing their latest products at the Consumer Pavilion. And here, you can find so many products. We are working now to make our economic relation on the level of uh, our political relations. Of course, Syria has uh, a lot of opportunities, uh, especially in the reconstruction process. Uh, we invite all Chinese uh, companies that are renowned in construction for infrastructure, for industry, for technology, to take part in uh, the reconstruction of Syria, and we welcome them. Our The door of our embassy is open 24 hours for whoever would like to know more. Meanwhile, luxury brands are leveraging the CIIE as an opportunity to deepen their presence in the Chinese market in response to global economic pressures. Our Zhang Chishuan explains. This year, bringing 12 of its brands, LVMH is participating at the China International Import Expo for the fourth time. Two of its brands are joining for the first time. Some of them feature products with a distinctly Chinese style, created in partnership with local artists. We value very much the relationship that we have with our Chinese clients and our Chinese partners, and we really see it as a partnership growing over the years. Chinese consumers are one of the more discerning and the more well-educated about luxury in general and our brand. 
So uh, in terms of future strategy, uh, we will continue to invest on, uh, I would say, local events. So uh, we want to continue to deploy specially made experiences through products, exhibitions, shows, as well as infrastructure. In a few years, uh, DFS will open what will likely be one of the most beautiful malls in Hainan, in Yalong Bay. The multinational conglomerate now has more than 1,300 stores in China, covering 46 individual brands. The China luxury market had been surging, with the market doubling between 2019 and 2021. That's according to a report released by Bain & Company. But that growth streak ended in 2022, when the personal luxury market contracted 10% year-on-year. Nearly every luxury category and most brands experienced their first major declines in five years. But the report says the year 2022 was a reset, not the start of a major downturn. So that growth will resume this year now that China has lifted all its travel restrictions. We've been for, with a coach brand for the Tapestry Group in China for more than two decades. You know, we have experiences ups and downs, and we know that it will be like that. We don't see China only as a market. We see China first also as a source of inspiration as it was exemplified many, many collaborations that we are doing with Chinese designers and Chinese artists. Now the market may be a little bit more soft, but we are still very, very, very uh, optimistic about the, the, the continuous growth. We, we discussed and we disclosed last year. We committed to open 100 stores over the next three years, and I'm very pleased to record now that for the fiscal year, which started in July 2022 to June 2023, Tapestry opened 37 stores, so we are very well on track, and we continue to have a very, very strong optimism for the Chinese economy. Tapestry brought new spin-off brand to the Import Expo for the first time this year, with all products made from recyclable materials to highlight its commitment to green development. Yan said that the company is also engaged in finding new partners, including more from China. Zhang Shuxuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. Well, global companies are weighing in as China takes further steps to open up its markets. Over 350 Japanese companies participated in this year's Import Expo, making it the largest contingent among foreign companies. Japanese firms, large and small, account for over 10% of total exhibitors at the CIIE. Meanwhile, businesses from Brazil expressed their commitment to the world's second-largest economy. Take a listen. I have been based in China since 2016 and have been continuously studying the Chinese market. The Chinese market holds tremendous potential, and I believe that starting a business must begin here, as it has limitless possibilities. Our delegation is large, comprising not only representatives from the government, but also many businesses. Chinese market is crucial for Brazil, especially in the field of agriculture. Brazil has a keen interest in China. We are eager to gain a deeper understanding of the Chinese market. The size of the Brazilian delegation participating in this year's CIIE is double that of last year. This has also heightened our expectations, and we anticipate achieving a transaction volume of at least $100 million at this year's CIIE. And time now for our special series, Biz Focus, where we take a closer look at some of the most dynamic business sectors here in China and, of course, around the world. Now, in today's edition of Biz Focus, we'll explore why global brands 
finance continue to return to this mega trade platform of the CIIE year after year. Plus, the Import Expo is not just about trade, but also a platform that highlights product innovations. China International Import Expo, the CIIE, has once again been held in Shanghai this November. Foreign enterprises gather here to showcase their latest products, technologies, and services. This is the sixth year that China held this event, and over 3,400 exhibitors have attended this year's expo. On the first day I stepped into the venue, I noticed some very familiar company names that I saw in the last time I came to CIIE in 2020. Why does this annual expo mean so much for them? Check my report and you will get the answer. At this year's CIIE, many of the exhibitors are old friends. They have attended all the sessions over the past six years. So I'm here to find out why the Import Expo means so much to them. We have been an old friend of the CIIE. Every year we participate in it, since the CIIE is the only national-level expo with the theme of import in the world. It provides a platform for us to showcase our digital capabilities, including products and technological innovations. As an American multinational tech company, Dell Technologies has rooted itself in China for 25 years. Wu said, Dell hopes to empower Chinese enterprises with digital transformation capabilities. Japanese electrical equipment manufacturer Omro once again brought its popular table tennis robot to this year's CIIE. It aims to showcase its leading ability in sensor making and expand its presence in the world's second biggest consumer market. Omro places great importance on the Chinese market. In our healthcare segment, the Chinese market has already accounted for 30% of the group's share. In such a significant market, we pay special attention to using the platform of the CIIE to engage in in-depth discussions with all our partners and to introduce more of our innovative products and technologies to Chinese consumers and the Chinese market. For German's pharmaceutical and biotechnology enterprise Bayer, the CIIE helps you to better understand the preferences of Chinese consumers. The aspiring creator company said it would like to be well aligned with China's national priorities, like Healthy China 2030. It's a collaboration. We have here a very vibrant environment. We meet here a lot of uh, stakeholders like patients. We get feedbacks and from the farmers, consumers as well. We have cooperation partners and also we have a unique opportunity to display innovation. In China, pursuing high-quality growth, innovation plays a major uh, role in, in that growth, and that's also DNA of uh, Bayer. All the companies I spoke with said they would come to the CIIE next year for sure and continue to turn discussions and ideas into actions. Well, that means signing more contracts and seeking more cooperations with local partners. At this year's event, another highlight is about technological innovations. My colleague Hou Jing, who reports the CIIE for the first time, has talked to some freshman exhibitors on this issue, and she got some observations. So Jing, take it away. Thank you, Tianyu. I'm currently at the Consumer Goods Exhibition of the 6th China International Import Expo. As expected, certain nations have once again organized specialized business delegations to showcase their flagship products within their booths. This strategy not only enhances the visibility of their commercial brands, but also serves to bolster the national image of the brand's home country. Singapore stands out in this regard. I spoke with several Singaporean companies, particularly small and medium-sized enterprises, to better understand 
how established and emerging brands are seeking to expand their footprint in China with support from both China and their home nation. Take a listen. The China International Import Expo is like an annual big party for brands from all around the world. China widely opens its arms to welcome international brands, big or small, to enter its market. And at the same time, some countries provide further supports for their delegations by means of fundings and extra services. Whole Foods is supported by the Singapore government? Yes, correct. Uh, okay. We have a 70% uh, funding. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so what are the other services the, the, this activity can help you? Um, yeah, they help us a lot, like live streaming. We have a live streaming hall in 1.2, the food hall there. And for all of us, we can go there, we have a live streaming room. Then they have some blogger, vlogger to help us to uh, introduce uh, our brand. And do you have to pay for these bloggers? Oh, no need to pay. Everything is free. Everything the government do for us. Wow, it's excellent work. Besides showcasing the mature products, CIIE also offers a chance for innovative products to be showcased and promoted in the Innovation Incubation Special section. EE Music is an AI-powered music education startup company from Singapore. Founded in 2015, after years of research and development, they chose to come to this year's CIIE to launch their new product. Uh, actually, so far, we've had the privilege of connecting with over 60 companies interested in our collaboration. China is definitely a very promising market for the music education industry. We um, plan to use the China market as an engine to expand into international markets following the policies of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative and uh, RCEP. Both the Enterprise Singapore and the Infocom Media Development Authority of Singapore support our project. Typically, the zone attracts the attention of VCs and investment firms, providing opportunities for financing and investment. This year's CIIE will soon come to an end, but the connections among CIIE friends are just at the beginning of further cooperation. The 6th China International Import Expo is drawing a close tomorrow. While we don't yet have the final tally in terms of the value of extended deals signed, every exhibitor I've spoken with has reported surpassing their expectations for this year's event. That's all for this episode of BizFocus. Now back to you in the studio. And that will do it from our CII studio here in Shanghai. Like our Ho Jing was mentioning, tomorrow is the final day of the 6th China International Import Expo. And of course, we will be back again tomorrow with the full wrap-up of what this year's event has achieved. But for now, it is back to you in Beijing, Guanxin. Well, thank you, Michael, for bringing us all those reports and really look forward to the final tally. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. I'm Guanxin in Beijing.